Welcome to the Board Game Workshop. I'm your host, Chris Anderson. Today, I'm here with Brent from Elf Creek Games, Derek from Laniap Games, and Carla from Weird Giraffe Games. We'll be talking about Kickstarters. So, thank you for coming to the show. Thank you for having us. Yeah, it's great to be back. Thank you for having us on. So, why don't you each introduce yourself? Let's start with Carla. Hi, I'm Carla from Weird Giraffe Games. We have two games so far, Super Hack Override and Stellar Leap, which hits Kickstarter on September 18th, Monday, September 18th. I'm super excited. And Derek? I'm Derek from Landyap Games. Uh, we have Ancient Artifacts on Kickstarter right now. Uh, I've been designing for, goodness, almost five years and uh, this is only the second time I've tried Kickstarter. The first one failed, uh, but this one's trucking along, and I'm really excited about it. And Brent. Yeah, I'm Brent from Elf Creek Games, and our very first game is going to go up on Kickstarter October 3rd. It's End of the Trail. All right. Um, so many of our listeners might have done or be looking to do a Kickstarter. I I have worked on the back end of a Kickstarter. I did some video work for um, a couple of the Wormwood gaming accessory Kickstarters, which was interesting. But I didn't have to run the campaign or come up with the marketing language or do all of that fun stuff that can be incredibly stressful. Just in general, starting off a Kickstarter, say it's your first Kickstarter, what are like some major things you want to get out of the way or any suggestions for a first time Kickstarter or? I think the biggest thing is timeline. For me, I have, I felt the need to start six months out on the campaign. So you've already got a game that you're really excited about. You've already shown it to people to make sure that it's not just in your head. Other people responded well as, you know, responded good as well. And I, it's just six months out gives you time to make the connection with, you know, reviewers who need a month or two. You've got time to prepare your prototype. You've got time to actually get that prototype mailed back to you. So then you can mail it out to reviewers, let alone all the stuff on the actual page that takes a lot of work. And unfortunately, I've not seen Mr. Dickman's page, but, uh, Miss Kaufman's page is incredible and she has been posting all over it on Twitter and it's a great example of watching it come together and clean up uh, and and really a good uh, example of looking at that timeline and seeing how it comes together. Uh, Carla, any like beginning suggestions for a first time Kickstarter? Yeah, so I've done a Kickstarter before, um, and I would definitely suggest at least six months. I'd agree with Derek. Um, You need to have all those connections, and everything takes so long. Like, it takes a lot longer than you think. Um, Like, creating prototypes to send to reviewers. I thought that mine for Stellar Leap would take a couple days. It ended up taking a full two weeks of, like, hard, like, I'm going to cut these things out and make rules and staple rules and uh, make player boards and stuff like that. Um, If you have a really simple game, prototypes might be easy. It might just be ordering something from the game crafter and it comes fully formed. You just have a tuck box full of cards, fine. Um, But uh, dealing with reviewers and you have to have the connections with reviewers beforehand. So I would suggest... um, 
like start talking to reviewers and such as soon as you can. Like even if you don't know if you're gonna go on Kickstarter, you might as well start getting those connections now. So for my uh, second Kickstarter, I started with three months in advance and that seemed like a rush. It was a constant, you know, I have to do this and this and this and I don't have any time to do anything else. So six months is a good time frame. Yeah, it's a good point. Uh, even if you are using the Game Crafter, you have to remember that the shipping is sometimes not that quick. So you got to factor in some time just waiting for that. Yes. Like it takes like three weeks. Yes, sir. It's taken me about a month every time I wanted a prototype from them. Yeah. And Brent. Yeah. Just to follow up with what Carla said, I found um, going to conventions was really helpful um, and not just Gen Con, but, you know, it gives you a lot of people in the industry in one spot that you can talk to for advice you can meet reviewers without necessarily having something you know that you're wanting them to review um gives you an opportunity to play games with some of those people sometimes um it's a great way to make connections um something we did that i have i think is going to be helpful is uh six months out from the uh, the our Kickstarter launch, I, I basically just went through all my Facebook contacts, everybody I could think of, and I told them, hey, we're gonna, I'm going to have this game on Kickstarter. I don't know if you know anything about modern board games, but let me tell you about it. And, you know, even people I hadn't talked to for 10, 15 years, um, I figured if, if I knew them on Facebook, you know, I knew them well enough to say, hey, let me tell you what's going on. And... It was really time consuming because I wound up reconnecting with, you know, a couple hundred people that I hadn't talked to in a decade (laughs) outside of like Facebook. Um, But I found a lot of people who were really excited to be sort of early adopters in our Kickstarter project. That's good advice. And it it shifts to a a good topic is the crowd part of crowdfunding. It's, um, I don't know if any of you have listened to Funding the Dream by uh, Richard Bliss. One of his things he always says is you don't have a funding problem, you have a crowd problem. So it's there's a lot of it about building that crowd, especially ahead of time, so that you can get funded quicker, because as soon as you get funded quicker, you become one of the top uh, projects and that kind of builds the marketing snowball. So what are some, what are some things you you've done to build your crowds. Carla? Uh, so one thing that I've done is to make a bi-weekly game night, a local one, and just advertise, like advertise on Reddit and Facebook and get um, more community involvement. Um, so all of them, they just, they really like playing board games and I've given them an outlet on where to do so. Um, but in doing that, I've met a lot of people that are interested in board games and I always tell them I'm like hey I have this game and then they're interested like because we're kind of friends like I invited them to come play games and now they like my company so I would really suggest like getting more community involvement because then you can also have play testers um, because they'll be there um, to play games and you can occasionally instead of playing a published game you can just be like hey I made this game do you want to play and give feedback I'd really appreciate it so that's very helpful 
Also creating a mailing list and getting everyone that you see to sign up for it. Like I always just have these mailing list sheets on me or an iPad so that uh, when I do meet people, I can be like, hey, sign up for my mailing list. It's a little awkward, but um, since I'm hosting events, it's not as awkward as you would think. And I get a ton of emails, so it works. Yeah, it's awesome. Derek, any pointers? As I said, I've been trying this for a while, and the first Kickstarter campaign that I did that failed, and it, it failed miserably, uh, I was trying, like actively trying, to seek out people and get that crowd at my local game store, which is tiny, and at LA conventions, which the people generally want to go to LA conventions to hang out with their friends, not meet a new designer and play his thing. Uh and it basically, it didn't work at all until I stopped trying and I just went to Board Game Geek and Twitter to hang out with people and talk about board games, ask them about their games, read their rule books, just connect with people on a friendly level. And my crowd has grown hugely since then. And the best part is then you have people who are excited about you and your project and willing to help you as well. It's not just names Car, uh, mrs cops thing is really amazing because having a mailing list like that is so insanely useful but there's that other side of the active part the reaching out to people and building those personal relationships that i i was terrible at the first time and once i stopped trying to build a list and i started making friends for me personally that helped out a lot yeah it's a good point it's um Part of this, a new thing in marketing, especially with social media marketing, is being human. And especially with Kickstarter, to a degree, I mean, some people are just going to see your product, like it or not, and back it because of that. But I think getting the core group, it is about connecting with people as yourself. And for the most part, like those early adopters, a lot of them don't even care about the game, really. I mean, they may like it, they may not. They might not even know anything about it. But if they know you, like, oh, that's my friend. I'll throw him a dollar or I'll back the whole thing. And building that core group is really important. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, when I brought up the whole, like, making a game group, it's definitely first hey, we're here to have fun together and make friends. Um, before you get the mailing list thing, that's like at the end, oh yeah, you're leaving now and had a great time, then the mailing list. Don't start off with that's that. That's a great point. Uh, actually, both of you made great points because my uh, my biggest problem the last four years has been that follow-through, that mailing list follow-through has been awful. So even when I made a friendly connection like at a convention, I don't have a way to connect with them again. But along the lines of what you were saying, Mr. Anderson, the vast majority of my day one backers were people I personally knew and I interact with on a regular basis. There were a few people who spotted it on Kickstarter and jumped on board, but so many of those day one backers were people who did not care about the game. They only cared about me. And Brent, any suggestions for building a crowd? Yeah, I, I would say in addition to gaming groups, um, try to find a somewhat local group of designers um you know it doesn't matter if they're well known or published or um you know just playing around with their first designs um not only will you get a lot of good feedback about your designs um but you'll also find a lot of people who understand 
you know, what you're going through. Um, you know, some of them may have run Kickstarters, that sort of thing. Uh, I live in Champaign, Illinois. And so we're lucky enough here to have quite a few designers here locally um, who a lot of them are just beginning like we are. Um, but we can also, you know, we're a drive away from Chicago and Indianapolis and St. Louis. And we just, this past week, we took into the trail up to the Dice Dojo in downtown Chicago. And that store has a, a culture of, uh, you know, prototypes and designers coming and showing their games. Um, and so the crowd there is very exciting and welcoming of that sort of thing. Um the other thing I want to mention is we have been running uh, game giveaways to try to get our name out there. And we've been doing it all summer. And we've taken sort of two approaches to it. Um, the beginning of the summer, I, when we would run a giveaway, I would try to target it as much as possible to gamers that I knew were already big fans of Kickstarter. Um, so I went to you know, Facebook groups like Board Game Spotlight, uh, where they talk about Kickstarter a lot, um, just to talk about our giveaway and promote the giveaway. We also tried to pick games that we thought either thematically or mechanically or just sort of the weight and style of game sort of matched our game. So we're really trying to find um, giveaways that the you know we felt like people who were excited about this game might be excited about our game. So, you know, right now we're preparing. You know, our game is a strategy game, and a key part of the strategy is managing a hand of cards that have multiple uses. So leading up to the Kickstarter, we're giving away a copy of Glory to Glory to Rome Black Box, New and Shrink, um, and trying to get the word out about that. Because um, we figure if you like Glory to Rome, maybe you'll like End of the Trail. That is definitely a prize that can get some attention. <laughs> That's our hope. <laughs> uh, so along with contests, um, I have a launch event for my Kickstarter, and part of that is going to be uh, giveaways and contests like that. So hopefully that'll help build people and get people to be part of the event so that there'll be backers on day one. And the theory is if you are all excited and you're also winning things that are somewhat like my game, you will, you know, want to back the game and participate with that. So uh, I don't know how well that'll go. Um, I saw that happen for uh, Grim Forest. Um, I don't know if any of you were part of the Grim Forest event, but it was like all super crazy. Like, oh, oh, now it's at 50%. Now it's at 100 and you could win this mini. So, uh yeah, I'm trying that out, and hopefully it'll, um, you know, it'll do something. And in any case, I'll give away some of these games I have extras of. So for that, Carla, are you giving away your own games, or are you giving away other published games? Uh, other published games. Um, I have an extra Thieves Market because I accidentally bought it and kickstarted it. Um, I'm giving away uh, stickers, um, promo cards, uh, possibly art as well, um, depending on how far we fund. Like uh, the theory is, if uh, the further we go in funding, the more prizes that there will be. So I might have to find other games to give away. Uh, but maybe Super Hack. I mean, that's a perfect uh, thing to give away as I have boxes of them. So this 
this event with your giveaways, is this going to be a, uh, a in-person event or are you doing an online event? Oh, it's just online only. It's a Facebook thing that I've been... Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, it's just uh, get everyone to uh, uh, say that they're either interested or going to the event. And you also get notifications yeah. when uh, people post in the event. So I'll be like, hey, it's launch. So it will send notifications to everyone that says that they're interested. It'll give them another reminder that, hey, we've actually launched. You can back. Sure. So every time they'll be, they'll ha- we'll have a giveaway during the day, they'll get another reminder that, hey, they they should maybe go back the project. I'm going to have to keep an eye out on that because I've seen a couple of people do Facebook events for the launch day, just kind of uh, letting everybody they know know that it's now live, you can come back it. But I've never seen it run as an actual event like you're talking about where there was engagement, involvement. That'll be really neat because I've always I've always kind of wondered about that with those those launch events, those online launch events. Yeah. Yeah, I'm also going to try to get uh, people involved. Like, so uh, Stellar Leap has four different species in the games, and they're not named yet. So part of that will be like, hey, guys, help me name these. And then we're going to maybe, well, during the Kickstarter, we're then going to vote on it. But it could be like, hey, what's your favorite species out of these four? Which, what should the names be? What's your favorite out of the ones that we've already, the names we've already gotten? Um, One of the contests will be, what is your favorite piece of artwork from Stellar Leap? You could win that piece of artwork. Yeah, so speaking of the Facebook events, I know Lady Man Games has been doing them for their releases. And because they had already had... I was part of the, the Gadgeteers event. And because they had already had two games released, they were giving away their games as prizes, which is a really inexpensive way to build your own brand because you already have discount copies of your own game, presumably. And the more you get out there, the more it can build that brand. So if it's not your first Kickstarter, then that's a great way to spread your own company. It's also a really easy tax write-off, too. True. So, uh, shifting away from building a crowd, Kickstarter is not the same as it was when it started, and you could just throw up an idea, and people would throw money at you, and you could make it happen. Now, it's gotten to an advanced state where people expect a lot. They expect a lot of quality. They want to know a lot up front about the game. Um, You have to be if not completely done, at least very near the end of testing. You have to have concrete idea for your game. Um, I don't think you could really do a successful Kickstarter nowadays without at least a good portion of the art ready to show because people love art and art sells. So what are your thoughts on getting art ready and basically getting all these things ready ahead of the Kickstarter, which presumably the reason you're Kickstarting is because you need the funding to produce the game. But there is a lot of upfront cost nowadays because you need to get to such an almost finished state. Uh, Brent. Yeah, uh, especially since this is our first time doing this, uh, we were, um, that's one of the first things we talked to other people about was how much does it cost to start a start a company to launch your first Kickstarter. And we thought we had a good idea and it's been even more expensive than what we thought. <laughs> Um, so it's definitely good to plan, to make a budget, um, to do your homework, um, and then to be able to, um, to sort of go with the flow. Um, we were actually going to originally launch on September 19th, uh, but 
we hired Bryce Walter of We Make Games to do our project video. And Bryce lives in Tampa, Florida. And he spent an entire week boarding up his house and packing his belongings to prepare for Hurricane Irma. And then he lost power. And so we have to delay the Kickstarter to October 3rd. Um, and it was sort of, you know, I've lived in the Midwest my entire life. So this uh, was the first time that I sort of experienced a hurricane from a, a different perspective of, of being worried about Bryce and his family. Um, he and his wife were expecting a child and um, yeah, it was crazy. Um, so completely unplanned for, um, but we've tried to use that try to turn it into to something that we can we can use um not the hurricane not the disaster but just the the delay um so we contacted all the reviewers and the graphic designer and say hey this is why we're having to delay um so you have a little bit more time to get things done um yeah so that was being able to go with the flow and um and and think on your feet seems important yeah, it's a very important not to launch before you're ready because like the, the first couple of days of a Kickstarter can be so influential that if you go in not fully prepared, that that can make you have to restart. Uh, Derek, thoughts on getting things ready and setting up, uh, especially with art and stuff? Man, it is expensive. It is so incredibly expensive. And it's one of those things that every time someone asks me about designing well publishing a game doing a kickstarter you are exactly right the the atmosphere on kickstarter has changed so much that you really do need to have the vast majority of that done and it's it's unfortunate because kickstarter should be that launching point that tool to help you get forward but it's at a point now to where there's so many projects and it's been going for so long that you have to look like a professional when you go to it which means you have to somehow come up with either the connections or the money to get your game looking finished before you ever go to Kickstarter. Because if you don't, nobody's going to trust you. It's all about, well, like you mentioned earlier with um, Funding the Dream, it's all about building that trust with the backers. And part of that is having a game that's almost completely done, having rules that they can look over and having gorgeous art that they can trust is actually going to get printed and sit to them. And exactly like Mr. Dickman said, it is just so incredibly surprising how expensive that is. Even if you do like Mrs. Cop, even if you print out the vast majority of the game and cut it and do the work yourself, it's still mind boggling and expensive to get those prototypes and things ready to send out to people let alone uh, doing like Mr. Dickman said and going to conventions. That's another cost people tend to forget about. It's, it's really, it's humbling. It's one of those things where I don't know about the other two creators here, but this has become basically my money sink hobby. I don't, you know, do most of those things that people like dropping money into, of you know, new computers, new video games, uh, going out, to bars or whatever game events not game events sports events this takes up basically all of my extra money because 
you know, it's my dream. It's the thing I want to make happen. And you have to look professional to get people to trust you so that you can move forward. Yeah, I notice uh, a lot of people start calling game design a jobby because it's part job and part hobby. Yes, sir. It can be. Well, definitely. And it takes a lot of money. Like, I agree with Derek. Like, uh, to get Stellar Leap to this point, it's taken at least $3,000. I don't have, like, a running total. We'll figure that out um, for taxes at some point. But, yeah, conventions and prototypes and art. Like, art, you have to pay your artists to get the good art. And you can't pay them later like, well, I mean, you could, but it's just not fair to the artist if you do that. Um, but also advertising, like to start getting your crowd, you could try advertising and you need to advertise during the campaign too. So you need all that money before you even fund uh, to be able to, to fund. Speaking of art, I know as you were getting the art in, you were sharing it a lot on Twitter and probably other places too, I think. Um, and I think that really helped build the community. You were getting a lot of feedback on whether like people like certain setups, um, the layout of the title. Do you think that helped build your community while also leveraging your cost of getting the art done and basically turning that into a marketing strategy? Oh, definitely. Like, just asking people opinions, like, um, go to Twitter, go to all the Facebook groups, ask people what logos that they like better. If you can give them something easy to comment on, they get more involved and invested in your project. And you get to make something that other people like, which is fantastic. Like, if I had to choose how the logo would look on my own, I might be happy, but then other people would be really sad with it. So, uh, it's twofold where uh, you get like a good product back and you get that community involvement i'd highly recommend it let's move further down the line so you say you've built your crowd you spent way more money than you wanted to setting things up your game looks awesome you're getting the funding you've succeeded the kickstarter's over now you have to ship this to all these people which i know Shipping can be the death knell of many companies because they didn't factor it incorrectly and they end up losing money on their Kickstarter. Um, so let's start with Carla. Any suggestions or things to watch out for with shipping? Okay, so before your Kickstarter starts, definitely know the size of your box and the weight of it so that you can get all the different um, shipping parameters. Like, you have to figure out, like, are you going to get a company that's going to do it all for you? Are you going to get several companies to do it all for you? Are you going to ship it out yourself? Um, you have to care about things like being eu friendly and the freight costs because um first super hack override that was super easy it was uh, a ten dollar game so we could just send it out wherever it um vat taxes are higher than ten dollars so we use send from china it was perfect i didn't have to touch any boxes or anything and it was rather cheap um but one thing we did forget about was the freight costs so we got some of the game shipped to us, like all the extras. Well, that costs about a thousand dollars to do that. Um, you know, just to send the boat over with that. So uh, you have to take care of that. But you also have to care about the box that your game box goes into because that adds uh, weight and 
Uh, you have to make sure that your box fits into a uh, into a regular shipping box. Um, there's a lot that goes into uh, shipping and fulfillment, and you have to pay everyone in the line. Like you have, if you do um, multiple fulfillment centers, you have to make sure to pay the freight to get it to um, the fulfillment center in Europe, and then they have to pay the VAT taxes and all the boxes and sending things. It's it is a lot, and I wish that there was uh, more people that would just do it for you. Um, but the downside in that is if you don't if you don't organize everything, you have to pay more. So if you don't want to take care of it, you have to pay a lot more money. And um, in this industry, there's as we've said, you have to spend a lot of money in a variety of spaces, and there's not a lot of uh, leeway in there. Yeah, I know. Um, recently, I'm on the Charterstone group for. Stonemaier Games new release and I know Jamie Stegmeyer shared a picture he had gotten different boxes because he was testing whether he should get Charterstone shipped in five games per box or six games per box and that's the thing you just have to test and see what works the best and that's that's a cost and that's time but it's important to make sure you know exactly how much things are going to cost to ship out because if you make a one dollar mistake on two thousand games that's two thousand dollars gone um another point is if you have stretch goals you need to know how much those stretch goals weigh because if you uh send a box and it's your base game and then you get like five or six stretch goals that all add in like 20 or 30 cards you might go into a next uh the next weight tier and that is more expensive so you don't want any surprises with stretch goals. That's a very good point. One of the dangers of success. Um, Brent, any thoughts on shipping or anything you've had to set up ahead of time? Yeah, well, so we haven't done this yet. Um, so so um, it's something we are anticipating. Um, I think the best advice I could give from somebody who's preparing their first Kickstarter is get advice and then get more advice. Um, you know, post in all of the Facebook groups that are designed to give, um, you know, people who are running Kickstarters advice. Don't be afraid to reach out to people like Jamie Stegmeyer directly, James Maffey, if you have a question, you, you know, um, ask and get as many quotes as you possibly can, um, and ask questions of, uh, fulfillment partners and manufacturers and uh, just try to get as much information as you can because that's going to help you. Um, going on that um, with the getting the quotes, like even if you think that you're going to go with a certain fulfillment center, make sure to get at least... It, make sure to have another option and base your um, shipping costs, like the shipping costs that you charge um, the backers, off the higher costs, just in case you have to go with the higher priced shipment. That's a good tip. Derek, any thoughts on shipping? Man, that was all really excellent advice, and Mrs. Cop really covered everything. Uh, ooh. Just know, for me at least, it is the scariest part of preparing because the printing costs, you can see coming. They give you a quote, and based on your components, you know this is what it's going to be. Uh, all the preparation that we already talked about, you have already know what those costs were. Um, but shipping, 
Man, shipping will blindside you. I have had the hardest time trying to get any kind of estimate on freight. I've got estimates from a shipping company of this is how much it's going to be to get to these areas, this is how much it's going to be for packaging, but freight is really tough to come across. And part of that problem of we were talking, you have to plan Kickstarter so far out in advance. Sometimes, like uh, James Matthew got blindsided with a... Um, a shipping cost increase that happened over the new year. And on the one hand, you think, oh, well, you should have known that was coming. But on the other hand, when you're planning eight months out, how are you supposed to know that the post office was going to announce that, hey, in three months, we're going to increase the cost of every shipping uh, size and weight, period. And that's a huge extra cost that you didn't know was coming. And Kickstarter so cutthroat now, at least for uh, designers like us who are very new to the market and we're still trying to build that trust of the community, we can't go adding a ton of fluff into our shipping costs just to, just in case the shipping cost goes up. You have to keep it as slim as you can so the people look at the numbers and they go, oh, well, that seems good. Let me jump on that. It's a, it's a scary thing. It certainly is. And that's a good segue into the, the last thing I want to talk about, which is all of the problems that you never thought were possible that can come up and ruin or derail your Kickstarter. So we've got, um, you could have a natural disaster that can affect shipping. It could affect fuel prices and fuel price can have a major effect on the cost of shipping across the ocean. Yes, sir. Uh, you can have a shipping company go bankrupt, which happened recently. You can have strikes at the port so they can't get the ships in. Uh, Lisboa recently had a factory fire that destroyed every copy they had set to go to Europe from Kickstarter. Yep. So everything in Europe is delayed for that. Uh, lucky enough, they're a big enough company that they can weather that and kind of correct it. But there are any number of things you never thought could be an issue that can come up and derail your Kickstarter. So what are some just random out there things that you would not have thought of that now you worry about for your Kickstarter? Uh, Derek, let's start with you. Oh, man. Well, you covered all the shipping ones that I've been looking at and thinking about. Uh, as far as the game itself, it's so weird when... Like, the one that surprised me was the rulebook. I hired a professional rulebook editor who has done quite a few projects. Uh, he does excellent, excellent work. He and I were both confident with the rulebook. And then I start the campaign, and hundreds of people start looking at the rulebook, and they're asking me these questions, and I'm like but it's right there. It's in the book. Clearly we didn't list it, you know, uh, straight, straight enough, easy enough to figure out. But that's one of those things where the reason you do testing is to find out that it's okay. And we thought it was okay. And then all of a sudden we just end up with the weirdest questions. And the scary thing is, like I said, you're trying to build that trust with backers. So when someone gets a rule wrong and they go and tell everybody on the internet that, oh, your game that is currently on Kickstarter is totally messed up because they messed up a rule, oh my gosh, it hurts bad enough, but then it's really killing your reputation and you're losing people and you're going, no, 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 that's not right. It's not the thing that actually works. Oh, it's, it's crazy how fragile the whole process is moving forward. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, no matter how many hours you test with, how many people 
like you can never get anywhere near the point of the full release of the game. Yeah. So there's always going to be more eyes on it, doing more things that you never thought of. You've tested every edge case you could think of, but then someone else finds the Halifax hammer and your game is broken. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Brent, any any thoughts? Hmm. Um. I would definitely reiterate what Derek said about rule books. Um, that has taken way more time and effort and energy than I ever thought. <laughs> um, you can't start early enough, and you can't you can't put it in front of enough people um, to get their feedback and to see, yeah, to see how they read your rules and what they misunderstand. All right, Carla. So uh, one thing that I'm like terrified about, um, I work really well with our artist, Tyler, and like he does a great job, like he gets things exactly like I want, but if anything would happen to him, like um, I think a few months ago he had to move, so he couldn't do art for like two weeks, and I was like, but Tyler, I know you're moving, but, and you have another job and you do things, but like that was just two weeks if something happened like if he got hit by a car or uh, won the lottery and he was like hey i just i have other things to do now um that would be just devastating and like finding another artist that i work really well with well just finding another artist that is willing to complete somebody else's work um and all the time it would take to uh for them to actually complete and learn all the stuff and well because like when you're doing art for a board game you kind of have to know the board game if they if they don't know why they're doing the things that they're doing or why the illustrations are important to the game they will make art that doesn't really make sense in the game so that's something i'm terrified about um i already had the whole like oops i have to pay for a freight uh thing happen so i won't forget that again um but you could have something bad happen in manufacturing like what if your manufacturer just you know burns down or something and you have to go with somebody else that you might not have gotten all the quotes from um once i decided on my manufacturer which is long pack i stopped talking with all the rest of them because that's just extra things for no reason. So I would have to go to another manufacturer and see, you know, if they could even do the things that I want to do with the game. So that would that would also be kind of crazy and devastating. And also, you might not be able to make your game anymore if the prices are a lot different. Exactly. You know, it might just... Yeah, it might not be, like, viable. That's a good point. There are a lot of people involved, very tiny margins, and any any little piece of the puzzle that falls out can have a terrible ripple effect. Yeah, like, if all of your reviewers are in Florida and you planned your Kickstarter around now, you know, that would be bad. Like, that, I had... Uh, um, Cassie was doing my Learn to Play video, and then she was out of power for you know two oh, weeks no. so i don't have a learn to play video now but i mean that's something like hurricanes you know it happened to brent i had another reviewer in in florida and you know uh thankfully i went kind of overboard on the number of reviewers that i uh i got so that didn't go that bad i didn't have to move my uh kickstarter date but 
you know, Kickstarters aren't just one person doing one thing. It's a lot of people coming together, like all the moving parts. Like even if you are the designer, artist, graphic designer, all that, you still need to rely on other reviewers, um, people to do your learn to play, like just the people to do your videos. Like I had somebody that did the audio, like make the music on the video. And if he hadn't done that, then the Kickstarter video would be a little less cool. But yeah, like manufacturing and shipping, like that's all a lot of people that could just, you know, if there's an earthquake or something, you know, you have to find someone else if there is anyone else. It, it is a struggle. One I hope to enter soon, but maybe maybe a little later. So we're running out of time now, so I want to give each of you a chance to actually talk about your Kickstarter a little. And so, Carla, I want you to start. Just describe your Kickstarter, start date, end date, price points, whatever you want to talk about, and then um, just general online contact, social media, whatever you want to give out. Okay, that's a lot, but I can do it and I remember it all. Um, so Stellar Leap, it starts on September 18th and I believe it ends on October 19th. Um, it is a space exploration game that has variable player powers, hidden traits, and game-changing events. It's for one to four players and plays in about 40 to 80 minutes. So it's a 4X game that doesn't take your entire day to play. It plays in about an hour. Um, if you want to know more about it you can hit me up on twitter at weird giraffes i have a facebook page at weird giraffe games and a website that's weirddraftgames.com impressive and derek oh man i don't know if i'm gonna be able to get it all like mrs cop did uh my game is ancient artifacts it's currently on kickstarter it ends Midnight of the 30th of September, so it's going to run all the way to the end of the month. Uh, at the time of recording, we're currently at $7,309 of an $11,000 goal. Uh, it's a roll and write game uh, for one to four players, and for those people who aren't uh, familiar, roll and write is simply uh, a dice game with a pad of paper that you're tracking information on. Uh, my game also has a board uh, to go with it and a bag. There's uh, dice drafting, there's action selection, there's gorgeous, gorgeous art that Fodor Salsnan did for me. Uh, there's custom dice. This one's actually a little, little crazy because of the board, the giant pad of paper, and then there's 15 dice. Uh, because of the different actions and the different things going on. Um, $28 game. Uh, you can find it on Kickstarter. What else did Ms. Cop say? I don't remember. You can find me on Twitter at Fester Dooley. Uh, like the Uncle Fester. And then D-U-L-E-Y for my last name. And I'm always up for questions and talking. And we've got a free print and play you can check out. And I think that's it. Cool. And Brent. Yeah, our game is End of the Trail. It's a uh, strategy game about the California Gold Rush. Plays in about 10 minutes per player for two to four players. Um, so in the game, you're basically... The game has a modular board of tiles that each have a hidden value of a certain amount of gold. And you basically play cards from your hand to look at those uh, tiles and see how much gold they're worth. Uh, there's a press your luck element where... Um, you can continue to look for tiles, but um, 
you know, as long as the tiles you're looking at get better or stay the same, you're okay. But if they ever get worse, you sort of bust and um, you're forced with some to keep something that's not very good. Um, the the game uses, um, like I said earlier, multi-use cards. Uh, it actually the the deck is a standard 52 card deck um, of you know four suits, two through ace. And sort of during the course of the game, another thing you slowly do is there's a set collection element where uh, you're building sets of um, poker sets, basically. So sort of like a poker hand. So sort of to fit in with that, you know, Old West theme, there's a, there's a lot of bluffing uh, in the game and, um, you know, some bidding. And so it's sort of... Uh, has a few trappings of poker without the the gambling or um, anything like that. Um, you can find it on Board Game Geek. We'll have a print and play up online there, hopefully soon next week. Uh, you can find us on um, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Elf Creek Games, and you can find me on Twitter at Old Brentish. Sort of like old Intish from Lord of the Rings, but my name Brent. Awesome. I am Chris Anderson. You can find me on Twitter at BlueQBGS. Uh, you can find the show on Twitter at the BG Workshop. My blog is BlueQBoardGames.com, which I have been good about being active with, releasing something every Friday. And you can get all the show notes for this episode and past episodes on TheBoardGameWorkshop.com. Thank you for listening, and thank you, everyone, for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. It was super fun. Thank you.